here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Hello, everyone. My name is Benjamin Day. I'm Stephanie Nakajima. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. So much to the chagrin of the establishment, Medicare for All is the campaign that will not die. First, you know, 2016, Bernie Sanders ran, dared to run on uh, the policy of Medicare for All. And I think the media just came out viciously trying to, to cancel Medicare for All. I think Ezra Klein called it puppies and rainbows. Uh, lots of other articles suggested things like it would actually hurt the working class and the middle class. Obviously, this did not work. And today in 2021, we're still talking about Medicare for All. So instead of of arguing against the policy, uh, these pundits are now saying that we don't have to blow up the whole healthcare system to get to universal healthcare, right? There are what they call other pathways that look shockingly like the system we already have. Uh, one in which some people have really comprehensive private healthcare that's still not as good as real public healthcare. Um, some have an ACA plan with a $15,000 deductible. Some have their healthcare plan as an employee of Hobby Lobby and don't have right uh, access to reproductive care. Some have Medicaid, some have Medicare, whatever. That's all fine, just as long as you fall in one of those buckets, right? So I ran across an article from 2019, which sort of exemplified, I think, what the main thrust of this argument is, which it hinges on European countries not actually having single payer. So Margot Sanger Katz in the New York Times said, there are ways to achieve universal coverage that don't look like single a single payer system at all. Most European countries, for example, have systems with competing private health insurance plans, along with tight regulation and government subsidies that make the premiums affordable for everyone. I'm not sure if Margot Sanger Katz knows where Europe is. We wanted to look at our peer countries in the EU very carefully and see if that's true. And so we did this project that has been called so many different things, but essentially is the European Healthcare Project. And today we're going to discuss what we found. Yes, we have uh, renamed this project about 10 times, but the, <laughs> really the heart of it is getting at this claim that Margaret Sanger Katz made in her article. She's the, the healthcare reporter from the New York Times, has been for a long time. And we're asking, is it true that most European countries don't have single payer healthcare, but have these? And is it true that most of them have competing private health insurance? So Stephanie, giving us the broad overview, what did we find when we started looking into the truth of that claim? And this is not a, a columnist or an op-ed author. This is the reporter for the New York Times, who they're actually supposed to be fact-checking all this stuff. Uh, was her claim true? And what did we find in our report? Yeah. So of course the claim was not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> or we wouldn't be doing this podcast. It would be really boring. Damn it. Margaret's aircast was right all along. So the first just little wonky note here is that depending on how you count Europe or count what is Europe, right? There are either like 27 countries or 44 countries. So we went with sort of a traditional definition of Europe, the EU countries, and then to make sure that we included countries that we also consider Europe, even though they're not in the EU, like Switzerland. We also did and now England, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. We also included countries that are in the Schengen Treaty. So 35 countries about that. I think if you looked at these countries, you'd say this is Europe or what we think of as Europe, right? What Americans think of as Europe. So of these countries, 27 
have a fully public health insurance system. So, you know, that looks like either one single fund that's run by the national government, you know, England, all the Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Iceland, Sweden, Norway, Finland, includes Italy, Spain, Portugal, Cyprus just finished last year its rollout of its national health system. That's a vast improvement. Yeah, go Cyprus. So that's one of the ways uh, you could have a fully public insurance plan. Or you've got this, there could be several administrators of one public plan, like in countries like France and Austria, where you've got one government-defined package that is delivered for weird historical reasons, mostly because of labor guilds, by four or five big quasi-public insurance funds. And they depend on your occupation. They're not competitive. You don't like choose which one you're in. You just kind of like get assigned to one. And again, the government decides what's in them. The government collects the money and, you know, redistributes redistributes the money to the funds. And so they're still essentially like a national health insurance plan, right? Sort of corollary to this is Canada because of the way the system, you know, developed in Canada. It isn't actually one single national plan, but is separate plans administered by the provinces. But we still call it single payer. And this is part of the reason we've, as a movement, started talking more about Medicare for all than about single payer healthcare. Single payer is really from the perspective of the provider, like the hospital or the doctor. It's like, is there one group paying me? And if you're in one Canadian province and basically all your patients are coming from that province, then you have one payer for almost all of your income, right? It's that one public payer for that province. And it would be the same thing for Austria. So we would call that a single payer system, even though you can really, you can pick nits all day if you if you want to. Yeah. And that has been an increasing preoccupation of right. <laughs> <laughs> liberal wonks who, who don't want us to talk about single payer. So then there's six other countries that use like a hybrid model where, you know, sickness funds or quasi-public third-party entities provide primary health care coverage. And in this option, still the government does assume the risk. The government pools the health care taxes and the premiums. Profits are always illegal. And the sickness funds are heavily regulated by a nationally set benefits package. And then there's one country, actually, and this is so random, but there's one country that runs a for-profit private insurance network, and that is Slovakia. How this happened? I don't know. I would love to hear more from a Slovakian health expert, but this is actually in violation of EU law. Uh, EU law does not allow countries to administer health insurance for the majority of their residents through for-profit insurance. So Slovakia could actually be taken to court for for doing this. <laughs> Healthcare Now Slovakia branch is going to be opening up soon. And our sister sister movement is going to be starting winning there. So I, I think you in the, in that explanation of kind of what we found, the broad overview of our our report, you hit on the, the main reason for the report, which is these six countries, right? So first of all, I think you've already debunked Margot Singer Katz, right? She said most countries in the European in Europe do not use a single payer system. False. The vast, vast majority of countries in Europe use a single payer system, purely public system. And it's just this tiny, tiny slice that have these kind of old German style hybrid systems where there are these nonprofit administrators in the system. So the question then is, are those six actually, can we describe them as competing private insurers? Uh, which is the other part of the Margot Singer Katz claim. And why do we even care about this? Why do we bother with this whole report? Well, as the Medicare for All movement has like kind of heated up and gained strength and gained grassroots power, especially since 2016, centrist and corporate Democrats who do not want to support Medicare for All have increasingly kind of fixated and fetishized these six European countries. And I'd say in particular, it's three of them. It's 
the ones we hear over and over again are Germany, Netherlands, and Switzerland. So you're mostly we're mostly going to be talking about those three today. And what they've been claiming is that basically, if you just improve and expand a little bit on the Affordable Care Act, kind of the Joe Biden approach to health reform, that you can achieve universal health care just like these six European countries do. And even more weird than the fact that we have a, this is kind of the new talking point of of the centrist democratic wing of the party, is that almost the entire, what we would call like the liberal press has jumped on board this. Like every single major, you know, non-conservative media outlet, newspaper, uh, major news blog, radio station. So we're talking Washington Post, New York Times, you see it from HuffPost, Mother Jones, Vox in a big way, NPR, on and on and on and on. And we're going to cover some of this, but that is why this is now an important discussion that we wanted to weigh in on, is because this is the new talking point. You don't need to have single payer or Medicare for all to get to a universal healthcare system. You can do it through competing private insurance models, just like regulate them a little bit more and tinker around the edges. And we'll get there the other way, which is politically easier. So, Ben, before I ask you a little bit more about this reporting, I just wanted to let everyone know I dropped in the chat a link to our project so you can read about it later or follow along. And I also really encourage everybody listening to ask any question you have about the EU, about this project or about EU healthcare, and we'll do our best to answer. So, Ben, what exactly are the claims that are being made by the press about these hybrid healthcare systems? So we're just going to take a smattering of, of press quotes here. We're taking them from major news outlets that you'll all recognize. And this is the norm of how the Medicare debate, Medicare for all debate has been kind of impacted by this claim about these six hybrid countries. Uh, so we already heard the Margaret Singer Katz claim about, you know, most European countries don't have single payer and most of them have competing private insurance plans. False. But here's another quote from Julie Rovner, who uh, right now she's the, the health reporter for uh, Kaiser Health News, but she used to be the health reporter for NPR. And that's when she wrote this in 2016, which um, I would note almost all of these big articles fetishizing Germany, Netherlands, and Switzerland saying that it's basically like the Affordable Care Act all happened during election Democratic primary fights. So this is no accident, right? So she wrote in 2016, which countries have single payer healthcare systems? There are fewer than many people might think. Most European countries either never had or no longer have single payer systems. She cites this public health professor, Jared Anderson. She mentions, of course, Germany, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. But then she also goes on and says, quote, as far as countries that have true single payer systems, Anderson lists only two, Canada and Taiwan. Um, <laughs> so very similar claims. So Stephanie, we're going to get more into depth in all this, but are these accurate claims, again, about very few European countries having single-payer systems and the only countries with single-payer systems are Canada and Taiwan? That's obviously looking beyond Europe. Yeah, I was expecting claims that were more within the line of what I thought all experts agreed on <laughs> about <laughs> European healthcare. I'm I'm sort of shocked by it. I don't actually know how to answer it because I've never heard it before. It's so out there. I feel like just, you know, you made a really good observation that a lot of this reporting is coming up during the primaries when we actually have an opportunity to vote for somebody who might support Medicare for all. And I feel like as Medicare for all becomes more and more popular, somehow 
fewer and fewer countries actually have single payer systems. Right. <laughs> um, how does that work? So no, in short, all basically all of these countries, as we just went over, have publicly run healthcare that isn't just regulated by the government like we think of it in the US, but in almost all these countries are really run by the government. And I just, just mentioned one word about the characterization of private, because you will hear healthcare experts also refer to these systems as private. And, you know, even I think maybe a European expert would say sort of sneaking privatization or something like that. They might not refer to it explicitly as private. But to give you, you know, before we get into why these systems are public, I also just want to mention that Europeans are really weird with their definitions of things sometimes. So when I lived in Denmark, man, one of the things is that there's a party called Radikale Venstre, which means the radical left. And it's actually like a center right party. <laughs> Uh, in Denmark. And they went around the, the global I think, <laughs> equator and exactly. hit the other side. Yeah, I think that they just maybe things have changed like politically in Denmark since they became a party. I think back in the 20s or whatever. So whatever. Uh, and then the other thing that really just always made me chuckle was that libertarians, you know, in Denmark, I actually met one and I was like, oh, you're a libertarian in Denmark. That's so fascinating. I'm like, what is your, what is your policy platform? He's like, oh, we support a flat tax of 40%. <laughs> and I was really trying not to laugh, like how mm -hmm. cute, that's adorable. Like, and it actually made me wonder like, what is the U.S. Libertarian Party platform on healthcare? And I just read it last night. Apparently they do support the repeal of Medicare and Medicaid. While the Danish Libertarian Party, they support sustaining the current single payer nationalized healthcare system of Denmark, but instituting user fees at the point of service. Radical. That's radical. some radical yep. right wing thinking, which, which <laughs> it is from their from their perspective. And, and we'll come back to this because a lot of this does hinge on what are we calling private and uh, this claim that there's private competing insurance companies in these European universal healthcare systems. And I, I think we'll come back and probably try to debunk that a little bit as well, especially the claim that they are insurance companies. So a couple of other quotes, and we I have a lot of media quotes here. We could keep going on and on and on, but I'm just going to pick a couple of them from the Netherlands. Actually, I think what this is what actually launched your interest in doing this project, Stephanie, was Vox did a series in 2020 of healthcare systems around the world, which was funded by the Commonwealth Fund. Actually, the Commonwealth Fund, I think it may be behind a lot of this, attempting to perpetuate this idea that you can get to universal healthcare through private competing insurance markets. So their, their page on the Netherlands, um, I'm going to try not to laugh. I'm going to try and get through this with a straight face. And they say, quote, the Dutch have a reputation as libertine progressives with a relaxed attitude to drugs and legal pros legalized prostitution but their history is deeply rooted in capitalism too. The country was the mercantile center of the world during the 1600s. I love the contemporary sourcing here. <laughs> um, and then it says, in their health system, they have tried to build an idealized version of managed competition, the same ethos that has informed US healthcare reforms from health maintenance organizations in the 1980s to the Affordable Care Act. Managed competition uses a combination of private markets and government regulations to try to reduce healthcare costs and improve quality of care. The system demonstrates, and here's the important part where they're trying to draw a lesson for U.S. politics. The system demonstrates that if a country is committed to organizing and tightly managing its healthcare, then it is still possible to achieve universal, affordable, and accessible care without entirely sacrificing market principles or private insurance. So that's it right there. That's like the uh, 
advanced intellectual version of the <laughs> the really short uh, short form reporting we got from NPR and and uh, the New York Times, which I guess this is Vox's brand, right? And I'm just going to throw in there before I ask you about the Netherlands, Stephanie, and whether this is a fair characterization of the Netherlands. Also, 2017, Paul Krugman. Again, you'll note the, the proximity to an election cycle here. Uh, this was actually right after repeal and replace was defeated. He said he was talking about turning Medicare for all into a litmus test for Democratic candidates, specifically the presidential candidates. He says a commitment to universal health coverage should definitely be a litmus test, but single payer, while it has many virtues, isn't the only way to get there. It would be much harder politically than its advocates acknowledge. The Dutch, this is the Netherlands again, have what we might call Obamacare done right. Individuals are required to buy coverage from regulated private insurers with subsidies to help them afford the premiums. And his description in the Netherlands there actually sounds like the Affordable Care Act, right? You have a mandate and then you have subsidies for low-income people. So, Stephanie, again, we're going to get a little more into detail about this later, but are these fair, accurate characterizations of the Netherlands as basically just a heavily regulated competing private insurance market and kind of a Affordable Care Act on steroids, more or less? Man, they want so badly for this to be an accurate representation of the Netherlands. I think they, if they feel like they say it enough times, it will be true. I wonder if this would be a good time to jump into exactly how the Dutch system works. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, you know, a single payer system like it used in the UK, France, whatever, these systems are funded by a progressive tax where patients pay a fixed percentage of, you know, their income, payroll, whatever. And in these places, of course, citizens report higher satisfaction with their health care than basically everywhere else. And the thing is that in both the German and the Dutch system, and to a lesser extent, even the Swiss system as well, this is largely the same. So in you know, both the German and the Dutch system, a progressive tax system is used to fund these plans. And the Netherlands actually has one of the highest rates of public financing in all of the EU. They actually, over 80% of the, all the health expenditures in the Netherlands is public. <laughs> so you know taxes are covering a lot of that plan, right? We can get into Germany later, but, you know, the only real difference with Germany is that if you're wealthy enough, and that applies to, I think, 10% of the population actually takes this option, you can buy out of the plan altogether, which is, of course, a compromise to the equity and solidarity of the system. And the other big, large, you know, party in Germany is actually running on getting rid of that whole part. <laughs> and, and just and, to pause you there, yeah. I mean, over, over 80% of, I mean, we just listened to these these two characterizations of the Netherlands, and they both said... Well, they're private insurance, but they're subsidized, so it's affordable. What they didn't say is it's 80% subsidization through taxation, which what they could have said is that the entire system is mostly tax funded, um, <laughs> which is uh, an entirely different political project. They're trying to portray this as like, well, this is pretty close to what we do in the Affordable Care Act, right? Where if you're very low income, you get some subsidies for your health care. That is different from everyone in the entire system having basically 80% of their uh, their healthcare funded through taxes. And if you're very low income, it's 100%. So I just wanted to highlight right there this totally disingenuous, disingenuous use of the term subsidies. Yeah, and I think that's a really, <laughs> that's really well pointed out there to, to explain exactly how this is really not a private premium based healthcare system, right? right? So the way that it works is that, you know, if we wanted to transition to a Netherlands system, first we'd have to institute that payroll tax, right? And that would cover about 50% 
of your insurance plan. And then in addition to that, you'd, you'd pay a flat premium of about $100 to $130 every month. Now, if you're in the bottom 50% of households, then you would have received subsidies to help cover this cost. So that's, you know, there's a first level of redistribution. First of all, you're actually paying a payroll tax. So you're paying in proportion to how much you actually earn towards the, the cost of the plan. And then on top of that, if you're paying less or you're earning less than 50% of the country, then you would also receive more help to cover that cost. So there's that. This light. is the appropriate use of subsidies, right? When you're, right. When you're $120 a month, uh, premium can be reduced if you are in the bottom 50% of income earners. Exactly. And that's part of the overall payroll taxes. I think there's actually like a different tax levied that uh, helps with that redistribution back down to the 50%, the lower 50%. And then it also doesn't mention, you know, or these uh, these articles in Vox and everywhere else don't mention that long-term care, which is hugely expensive part of any healthcare system, is budgeted for and financed entirely by a taxation. It's completely taken out of the regular package of health insurance and it's just a public part of the plan, right? All children are covered through fully through public funds. If you're a child, you're just publicly funded. And uh, of course, these insurers that, you know, really are just administrators of the system, they are not allowed to make profits on the statutory package. And I think that this, uh, this particular distinction gets lost when we say, oh, well, there's actually a lot of nonprofit you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield or whatever in the in the U.S. that don't also make profits, but Blue Cross Blue Shield can sit on all of its all of its, I guess you could say, profits without actually ever doing anything. It doesn't have an obligation to put it back into the system. Whereas these insurers absolutely have a mandate to or a requirement to put them back into patient care. They can't just be sitting on a bunch of money. And then one of the, the just the more radical things I think that makes this really just a truly public system is just that the insurers are actually risk equalized by a government fund, right? So part of this money, the government looks at the sort of the risk factors of each the risk pool uh, of each insurer and says, well, this insurer is going to need some more to cover its patients than this insurance fund. So we're going to take money out of this insurance fund and put it basically into this other insurance fund. Um, so the government is pooling the risk of all these insurers that are allegedly private, right? And then finally, I would say that unlike very much unlike the US, uh, Netherlands has a minister of health who sets a fixed annual growth rate and a budget for the entire healthcare system. And every year it says, this is how much we're going to pay for healthcare. This is how much the insurance plans are going to pay for this procedure. And this is how much they can charge for a deductible, like within a small range. And every plan has to cover 100% of all costs, except for that deductible. And yeah. These are just some of the differences. So long story short, you know, I think especially if you look at that Paul Krugman article, the implication is, you know, Medicare for all advocates are just wild eyed. We have our head in the clouds. We have no idea how hard politically it's going to be to get to Medicare for all. If we were being realists, we would instead look at just beefing up the Affordable Care Act a little bit and arriving at something like the Netherlands, which is which would be way more politically easy. But they've basically glossed over the entire Netherlands actual healthcare system, which is not actually more politically easy. All of these things that the Netherlands system has are basically the same as Medicare for all. I mean, the fact that it's almost entirely publicly financed, same as Medicare for all. The fact that there's no one is allowed to make profits off of uh, health insurance, 
pretty much the same. The fact that the insurance function, there's public setting of rates to providers. Uh, the fact that you know all money that gets saved goes back into the system. It doesn't get to be skimmed off by a private actor, whether profit, for-profit or non-profit. All of this stuff, that's what makes it politically hard to do Medicare for All. Um, I think if you go down the list of the things that make Medicare for All politically challenging, and they mostly involve areas where you have to take on some branch of the healthcare industry who's making money off the system, you have to take on all those same actors if you want to get to a Netherlands-style system as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's happening here is absolutely just an attempt to draw a false comparison between these European systems and the system we have in the U.S. to argue for for why uh, Medicare for All isn't necessary. But I will just say that I'd love to have a German healthcare system if anybody actually felt like implementing one here. Exactly. There are no proposals on the table as of today to transition us to any of these systems. Right. And speaking of Germany, um, I wanted to, I, I'm seeing we have a comment from Stefan Ramdor, who is um, one of our activists who is German from Germany. And he sent us an interesting question. He said, and in this question, you're going to get to hear me try to pronounce German, which is going to be interesting. My partner <laughs> is German, but I do not speak German. <laughs> So Stefan, you can you can laugh at me as I'm attempting this, but you you caused this by writing the German names for everything here. So he says, for Germany specifically, it is great that you have taken on the myth that the German Krakenkassen, which are the sickness funds, are private insurance. They are not. The Gesetzliche Krakenkassen, which again, sickness funds, are, and here's where it's going to get really interesting, are Korperschaften das Öffentlichen Rechts. I hope I did that okay, which he said is bodies of public law. So the sickness funds are bodies of public law. While they are financially and organizationally independent from the government, they're still part of the overall public health insurance system as their bodies of law. He said again and again, I wondered where might the myth come from that German public health insurance would be private insurance. This would be my question. And he actually mentioned an example of speaking with his representative here in the U.S. in Congress. He said, I asked legislative aid on healthcare and my U.S. rep why she thought so. She said she had read a book called The Healing of America by an author called T.R. Reed, generally a great reporter. I, sorry, I put in that little side commentary there. <laughs> and then he said, so I read the chapter in Germany in the book, and indeed it describes the Krakenkassen as private insurance. Possibly the German system is difficult to understand, and that is why a U.S. author might unintentionally have misrepresented it. So, Stephanie, what about Germany since we just spent so much time in the Netherlands? <laughs> yeah, I think that was such a great comment by Stefan. I, I just think that there, you know, T.R. Reid, I read that book and I really liked it, and I didn't even notice that he used that it was private. But I And I just wonder if maybe just to make it seem more palatable to the U.S., I don't know. Or to seemingly make it more palatable, I think that actually most Americans do support public health insurance. But, you know, in an effort to bridge the gap, it was sort of described as private. And that's, you know, one of I don't I don't know, because I don't think that T.R. Reid actually wants us to to have private health care. But anyway, no, he's been advocating for Medicare for all. But um, right, exactly. But this is still part of the problem, right? So yeah, definitely. And it is because there are these sort of, I don't know, quasi-public bodies in Europe that we don't really have in the U.S., you know, everything's like really demarcated public or private, right? So yeah, so the German system is, you know, even less privatized than the Dutch system. So it's really funny to me that I think that the German system is also considered private, right? Again, you know, there's a payroll tax for the plan, the risk is redistributed, 
by looking at the profile of the members of each plan. The government sets the prices, the minimum co-pays, all of that stuff. If we wanted to transition to such a system, we'd have to convert all of our for-profit and our not-for-profit healthcare insurers to actual what you call social insurance, right? Nonprofit sickness funds that are obligated to use all the money they have back into patient care. I mean, it's just a classic sort of uh, public health insurance plan that because of historical reasons has these like sort of different sickness funds, mainly out of like, you know, the the older labor guild system of covering members through communal pool. Um, and I think that's the only reason that Germany has a system that it's sort of tried to couple together a kind of single payer plan through what it was historically working with. Right. I think you you mentioned a good, you know, for folks who were asked, we, we both said, you know, we would happily take a Netherlands healthcare system, a German healthcare system, a Swiss healthcare system. Oh, Stefan says I did good German pronunciation. <laughs> my, my partner is going to be so happy with me. I know you've been practicing I had that. to earn it. I had to earn it. So... One one question is, why shouldn't we advocate for one of those systems instead of Medicare for all? And the reason is that it makes zero historical sense, right? The reason, the reason that these systems have evolved in Germany and the Netherlands is mostly because those countries had these historically much heavily more unionized countries. And so they ended up, you know, negotiating health benefits within each industry, like unions within the entire steel industry, for example, would negotiate wages and benefits with employers for the entire steel industry. This is something that we basically have never had here in the United States. And so that was kind of how healthcare emerged in those countries. And so that's how these sickness funds have kind of evolved to be part of the system to still administer the system. But it is now a fully publicly regulated uh publicly run system and and globally budgeted system. I mean, if you're an insurance, and and I guess this brings me to an, uh, an interesting question I wanted to ask you, Stephanie, which is if we have these sickness funds, for example, like in Germany, you can choose between a bunch of different sickness funds, which you know the media is now portraying as private insurance companies that are competing with each other. But if what you have said is true, uh, which I know it is, which is that these sickness funds do not get to choose the rates they pay providers for the most part, that they can't choose how much money they collect, they can't set premiums, that they don't get to, you know, try and find sick people to cover and not sicker, not cover the loss, uh, the the healthier people, which is what happens in here, here in the US, because the government will literally redistribute their money if they get all the healthy people and give it to the funds that are covering the sicker people. If you look at all this stuff, what exactly are they competing on? This is, to me, this doesn't bear any resemblance to a marketplace that we would think of like, you know, two companies competing for a product or a service here in the United States, what exactly are they competing on in these so-called hybrid systems? That's a great question. So this weekend, I mean, I had an idea because I had read about it, but I just sort of decided to go into like the Dutch healthcare market system place where you go to buy health insurance or to choose your health insurance plan uh, just to see what it would look like. And so, you know, as we talked about, they're not actually allowed to compete on, they aren't even allowed to offer additional benefits over and above what's in the, the generic package. So they mostly compete on like service to their members. And then, you know, for example, one insurer promised uniquely they said uniquely, to pay my bill within three days. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'm like, why would I need that if I could just get a national health insurance system where I never saw a bill at all? Right. You know, like, what would be the point of that, right? And then the other thing is, like, there's complementary activities and services they offer. So, like, you can, some companies will offer an alternative healthcare add-on. So, if you want something that's not covered in the, the main plan, but is considered sort of, like, alternative healthcare, then you could get, like, a separate little plan or a separate action for that. 
You could get, you can choose emergency care abroad. So of course, you know, depending on which country you go to, you probably need to take out health insurance, especially coming to the US. Then there's like discounts on gym memberships. <laughs> And so what you do is, you know, you basically enter your age, although everyone between the ages of, I, oh, that's, that's the Swiss health insurance system. Actually, the Swiss health insurance, they don't have any, like, I think, community rating between the ages of 25 and like 100. You're basically the same. Um, the only, I think, discount is for people under the age of 25, which kind of makes sense because they're probably not making as much money anyway. So, you know, whichever it came up with like a list of options and then it came up with this little like warning. It's like whichever health insurer you were with, the basic insurance reimburses exactly the same care. This is determined by the government. However, the number of care providers you can turn to and the amount of the reimbursement differ. So make your choice between a low premium with less contracted care or a higher premium with contracted care. So the two plans that they like showed me was plan one, 109 euros a month. And uh, I would get 100% reimbursed at a limited number of select hospitals and all other healthcare providers, the contracts. So that was like sort of like what they're saying with managed care where you have a network. And then the plan two would be 100% reimbursed at all hospitals, all healthcare providers basically in the system. And that was 112 euros. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a three year difference between, and I just like couldn't, I just didn't. It didn't, wouldn't make sense to me because, you know, in the US, you can have a very contracted health care uh, plan, which means that you can't go to like, you know, uh, you can go to a very limited number limited of networks, yeah. very limited network, right? And it would be worth more than three euros, I think, <laughs> to be able to choose. So I'm not really understanding what it means, like this limited thing, like how limited is it? How limited could it be where it's only three euros difference? And then the second option is on top of that is you choose your deductible. So you can choose a deductible from between 325 euros up to 885 euros. But if you, um, and if you choose the 885 euro option, then you pay only 90 euro a month. So your health, your premium goes down. So, I mean, that is compared to a US plan where your, you know, deductible and your max out of pocket could be like 8,000 for an individual plan and then like 16,000 for a family plan. So the average was about 1,700. Uh, last year. So, I mean, this is the notion that these are private competing insurance companies. I think people need to understand you're literally deciding between a $3 difference in the two plans and they're competing mostly on services, like how fast they reimburse you, you know, how good the service is and very, very minor differences, but they cover all the same services. And so to me, I think it's just a total sham to portray these as kind of similar to the Affordable Care Act, which actually kind of enshrined this principle of private competition through these state marketplaces that we all now have. That whole principle behind that was, so well, if we just let the market compete on a, an easier to choose platform, like if they have these gold, silver, and platinum and bronze plans that are kind of similar-ish, that somehow competition will drive down costs, which obviously it doesn't. All of Europe shows has abandoned that and has shown that that's not how you control costs. You can't do it through a market, through competition. They've controlled their costs and covered everyone by basically eliminating uh, most market-based, market-driven dynamics in their healthcare system. Yeah. And I just was looking at the Dutch party platforms. <laughs> 
the different parties right. uh, in the Dutch political sphere and seeing what they were running on on healthcare in 2021. And with the exception of the Freedom Party or whatever, all of the other mainstream and non-mainstream parties actually are running on sort of rolling back all of these user charges in the the Dutch system because they're really, you know, they're really um, unpopular. So, for example, a popular thing is to abolish the deductible to, you know, or to lower the out-of-pocket costs. I believe like the Green Socialist Party is actually looking to abolish this whole weird sort of like individual insurance system and go back to a fully single-payer system. And so, you know, that's politically where I think this is going in the Dutch system. I don't think it's really been a success and they're trying to pull it back. Yeah, and we haven't talked about it a lot, but they they went through a privatization experiment, which has horribly backfired and they're now running the opposite way. So I, I think maybe we can start closing or moving towards wrap up by focusing back on the U.S. setting and the politics of all this here in the U.S. Again, this wave of like articles by the press fetishizing Germany, Switzerland and the Netherlands, but in a totally inaccurate way, basically portraying them as market-driven privatized systems, which they are not, only happens when there's a debate between the Medicare for All movement and kind of the other wing of the Democratic Party. Incredibly, most of the kind of mainstream uh, reporters who are not right-wing have kind of fallen into this, like, let's do any other path to universal healthcare except Medicare for All. And this kind of fantasy that it was a nice cat. Thanks, Maria. Um, <laughs> and fall into this fantasy that you can kind of get to universal health care without having to actually fight the political fights by taking on. I mean, this is what, what it's really about. It's like part of the Democratic Party does not want to fight the healthcare industry, partly because they're getting money from them and support from them, but also because they're making a different political calculation. So they're saying, hey, I believe in universal health care. Really, I swear I do. But we can get there without taking on the healthcare industry and all the groups that profit off the health, the current healthcare system. Look at all these other countries. And it's a total fantasy. These countries did not get universal health care by not taking on the healthcare industry. Uh, they did it by basically abolishing for-profit enterprise from the healthcare system altogether and eliminating competition in, in most meaningful areas of the healthcare system, because as the economics field found out a long, long time ago, competition does not work in health insurance. It does not work in health insurance. It does the exact opposite of kind of what you'd want it to do. And you were going to say something there? Yeah. So I was just going to ask, I mean, like when we talk about what's happening in, you know, in the politi U.S. political context, is there any current legislation that we have on the floor, any executive plans by Biden do any of them get us close to this either, you know, European single payer or a European hybrid system? Well, the answer is yes and no. Uh, the yes <laughs> answer is that the Medicare for All Act, which is the, the one Medicare for All bill in Congress uh, that is filed by Rep. Jayapal in the House and is going to be soon in the fall filed by Senator Sanders in the Senate. Those do get us towards a European style, the, what the vast majority of Europe does. And some folks in the comments have been talking about Canada and England, and we're, we're not going there today, but I, I appreciate those comments. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about those actual single payer and actual national health services in the future. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. So the Medicare for All bill, long story short, the Medicare for All bill is very similar to 
all of the countries in Europe and how they do universal health care, um, except for Slovakia, apparently, as we talked about in the beginning, uh, which is in violation of, of the European Union laws. And we still don't understand why. But back in the 2018 election, uh, election cycle, you remember, and during the last presidential Democratic primaries, you remember that there were some attempts to do this kind of like anything but Medicare for all. So there was like the Medicare for America bill. There was a proposal not in Congress called the Medicare Extra for Everyone. There was the, oh God, Medicare for Everyone Who Wants It, which was basically a public option bill. Uh, None of these pieces of legislation, especially Medicare for America, which was the only one that was actually filed in Congress, that does not get us anything close to Germany, the Netherlands, or Switzerland, or any of the hybrid European systems. It doesn't do any of the things that you talked about, which is basically collecting almost all the funds through public taxation or, you know, setting uh, payment rates to providers across the whole system or redistributing um, funds across the different insurance uh, entities, uh, depending on- We forgot about negotiating drug prices. Drug prices. They all set nationally set drug prices. Um, None of these bills do that. So there is no, and and Medicare for America bill has not been refiled this session either. So even that little thing is gone. So the short answer to your, your question is no, there is no bill. There is no national movement. There is no nothing that would actually move the U.S. towards one of these so-called hybrid uh, healthcare systems in Europe. It's all really an anti-Medicare for all talking point, I think, is the long story short of our uh, what, what our findings are. So I just was looking through the comments here. Do we want to answer a couple of them, Ben? Or Yeah, sure. Let's go through it. But yeah, I think just to reiterate what you were saying there, I think <laughs> that, you know, they want that all of these sort of second-rate non-Medicare-for-all plans want to try to convince us that we're going to get to universal care through those plans, but because they don't do what all of the other countries around the world do to get to universal care, they're not going to get there. And so they're actually sort of proving the point they're trying to make, which is that in order, you know, to get to universal care, let's look at what other countries have done, and (laughs) none of them are actually proposing doing any of them. So there was a question about... There's a lot of uh, great comments about my German. I really appreciate those. (laughs) There's a good question about Switzerland that I don't know the answer to. I'm trying to find it. Yeah. Ken Engelhardt's question, could you comment on the Swiss trial of a system that was similar to the US but found to be ineffective and unpopular, which led to Switzerland reverting to a single payer system? I recall T.R. Reid writing about this in The Healing of America. I don't oh, know interesting. You, Stephanie. Well, first, let me answer this question, then segue into that question, because I think they're a little bit similar. So this question from Maury, are the overhead costs more or less between the German and Dutch and the single payer systems? So, yes, the most German, Dutch, well, German to some extent, but then definitely the Dutch and the Swiss systems, which are the most privatized of all of the European systems, are much higher than you know the EU average. Well, not just the EU average, but there are other peer countries in the EU, and they've been also rising faster than all of the other countries. And I think Switzerland has the second highest per capita. After the US, of course, there's just like a huge jump between the US and everybody else, and then sort of goes down from, starts at like Switzerland and then goes down, right? The chart that you've probably seen a million times. And of course, the answer to this is because it is more fragmented and more privatized. And then in terms of the Swiss system, so my understanding of what's happened with the Swiss system is that it has been more and more privatized and that they have, they actually, there was a referendum a couple of years ago and that it was narrowly defeated to like, to get rid of the Swiss private or privatized system, but that there's still sort of a lot of 
political will to return to a little bit more of a, a sort of national health insurance system. Um, and I'll just say also on the Swiss that we didn't really talk about them a lot, but they do have the same sort of the same general structure as what the Dutch have, right? So they have this sort of like competing insurers, but they're not really like competing on anything beyond, you know, like their services or whatever, like extra policies you can tack on like dental and stuff like that. But the one thing they do that's different from the Dutch and makes them a little bit closer to the US system is that they're they fund a lot less of it through taxation, a lot more of it through premium. So the average premium in 2021 in the Swiss system is $340 a month. And of course, there are also, you know, subsidies for lower income people, but it is a lot more cost sharing than what you're seeing in any of the other systems, right? Just because they have, first of all, a premium system. And then that is also just so expensive. You know, they're out of pocket max uh, with deductibles and co-payments together could be as high as $3,500 USD. And again, you know, comparing this to the ACA, <laughs> you're going to have a much higher deductible um, if you're on an ACA plan and could even have a much higher deductible if, you know, you have a like private plan or something that's not regulated by the ACA in the US. Right. And Swiss really do not have a fully universal healthcare system either. They're probably the one in 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 the entire Europe, aside from I don't know, Slovakia situation, but that is, you can't make the argument that you can get to universal healthcare via the Swiss model because they do not have universal healthcare, but they do much, much better than we do in the US. So Exactly. They have, um, they have traditionally had a universal healthcare system, but that universality has been called into question because of how many people are actually dropping off the system because they're unable to pay these really high premiums, like $340 per month. And so, you know, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not the Swiss can be considered a universal plan anymore. And then one other thing I'll say on the reporting on the Swiss system is talks a lot about how Swiss patients have a freedom to choose like the Dutch, but most plans in Switzerland now are that kind of managed care where you're you can choose to get pay a lower deductible or a lower premium in return for a more contracted list of uh, uh, providers that you can go to. So that's always going to be less choice. I mean, that's nowhere near as good as the Danish healthcare that I had, where I never had to cross-reference like a doctor that I wanted to go to, a specialist I wanted to go to, a hospital I wanted to go to with some like list of who I can and cannot based on my plan, right? That's That would be true for that is true freedom of choice, which is what is provided by a national health system, unlike the Swiss, which is not about freedom to choose. And there's a recent question here at the top from Jackie saying, we've talked a lot about the hybrids. Can you list the countries that have single pair systems? Is that in the document we listed and linked in the chat? And yes, it is. There's actually a cute little interactive map, if you're on a desktop at least, there's a map where you can hover over all the countries, uh, a map of all of Europe, and you can hover over the countries that have the single pair systems versus the ones that have the hybrid systems. And there's a lot more information than we were able to cover right here. All right. So sh shall we wrap this up? I think and the other, the last thing I'll mention here is that we have been hearing uh, from a lot of our activists, not just Stefan, that they are actually getting this exact pushback from their members of Congress. I haven't been able to find a lot of members of Congress like on the record speaking publicly about sort of a fake hybrid ACA on steroids path to universal healthcare and pointing at Germany, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. But we do have a lot of folks who visit their reps, pushing them to sign on to Medicare for All, who do give these talking points back to them. So we hope that this will be a resource for you when you're visiting your member of Congress. And I just want to wrap also by thanking our podcast team, who this show would not be possible without them. Sarah Sang is our podcast manager. Lindsay Baish was the writer and researcher for this episode. Jerry Katz was our show notes writer. And Zandra Felicia is our audio editor. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you.